Welcome to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch, and this is a podcast of conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. Here with me live today is Margot Morton and Chris O'Gorman. Margot is the sales director at Civica Asia Pacific, launching proven and successful solutions into the Australian and New Zealand healthcare and regulatory markets. Civica partners with customers to deliver meaningful outcomes to their customers, employees, and patients and to demonstrate best business practice. Chris is a certified practicing accountant with extensive financial management, costing, and revenue experience within the Australian healthcare system. His main interests are in improving safety and quality of patient care by identifying and measuring the value impact on costs and revenues. He's been a CFO and executive director of finance in metropolitan, tertiary, referral, and teaching hospitals, as well as holding valuable experience with the Victorian Treasury, Premier, and Cabinet to evaluate return on investment. Chris worked with the Health Roundtable in Australia and New Zealand for 12 years, where he led the Costing and Financial Performance Group and has directed the development of significant analytical tools to measure cost and track source and location of major hospital-acquired complications, or HACS, and has extended this to other benchmarking tools. He's also responsible for supporting hospitals across Victoria and Tasmania. That's our panel today. We've got Margot Morton and Chris O'Gorman. Thanks to everyone who's still showing up. And I'm just going to finish up the poll now so we know the lay of the land. Let's just click end poll now. And so we've got with us today about 80% of attendees uh, would identify themselves as a manager, a few clinicians and a few developers or technical people. Next question is what level would you describe your level of understanding of hospital costing and how it all works? About half the attendees, actually half the attendees would say they've got a basic understanding, 40% an intermediate level and 10% say they're at an advanced level, which is good. And then artificial intelligence, what level would you say you're at? Everyone knows what AI stands for, so that's good. A lot of people at a basic level of understanding, but then one person in particular is at a low Yoda status of understanding of AI. So potentially they can jump on the session later on if needed. So just to remind everyone, this is a live webinar and we're using, so that people are attending live and are able to chat and ask questions and shape the way that the conversation goes. We're also recording it so that people can watch it after. But as well as we do with Talking Health Tech, uh, the audio from this session will then be converted into a podcast episode for probably release early next year for everyone else to check out. So if you're listening via the podcast, you won't be able to engage obviously by the polls, but those that are attending live will be able to do that on your behalf. So thank you to Margot and Chris for coming on. We might get started then. Chris, tell us about the journey of Australian healthcare and, and how that's come on with costing and activity-based funding models. Uh, sure. Well, it sounds like most of the people have some interest and experience in health in Australia, so that's a distinct advantage. Before I go into some of the history, I just want to get over some of the basics. We talk about ABF, we talk about case mix funding. Now, what actually is activity-based funding? So activity-based funding, as it relates to public hospitals, and that's where most of my experience is, is funding on the basis of activity or outputs rather than inputs. Now, you might say, well, of course, doesn't everybody do that? That hasn't been the case historically. It's only in the last 20-odd uh, years that um, funding of hospital services has focused much more on patients, which are the outputs of hospitals, rather than, than on the inputs, which is salaries and wages and expenses. Payments are based on patient volumes and the complexity of those patients, sometimes referred to as case mix. So you'll hear the term case mix funding as well as activity-based funding. They're much the same things. 
quite simply, each patient who is treated in a hospital attracts a payment based on the relative complexity of the condition that they were treated for. And that's what the funder or the purchaser, in this case, the state or the federal government pays for. So to take a couple of extremes, if uh, someone enters the public health system and has, let's say, a double lung transplant, highly complex, relatively long length of stay, lots of doctors, complex surgery, the payment for that episode of care, the lung transplant, might come out at something like $100,000 or more. At the other end of the scale, if someone attends the ED who's got a migraine or a headache, they might have a couple of tests by the doctor, given a prescription and go home within one or two hours, payment might be closer to four, five, six hundred dollars $600. So the payment relates to the complexity of the case. And each case is treated as a single case. One payment can be $100,000, one payment can be $500, and there's everything in between. So my experience with case mix funding goes way back to 1993, ancient history, when I was appointed as the Director of Finance at St Vincent's Hospital in Melbourne, which was in 1992. It was my ex first experience at working in a hospital. I had previously worked in the health department, allocating budgets to hospitals where patients hardly got a mention. It was all about salaries and wages and consumables, what CPI and budgets would be altered each year. Second year in this job, activity-based funding was introduced in Victoria. Momentous change. The funding turned on its head. And we had a lot of learning to do, and it took a long time for us to start to focus on the patient rather than on the inputs. So that was 1993, and it wasn't until 2012-13 that the Commonwealth, who happened to fund about 45% of hospital funding, I won't go into the funding of hospitals, that's a separate podcast in itself for those that are interested, but as the Commonwealth pays about 45% of hospital costs across the country, they moved to activity-based funding in 2012-13, and this became a game-changer because most other states who hadn't been using activity-based funding followed suit very quickly. So we get to the point where we are today, where nationally, most hospital, public hospital services are funded through activity-based funding. So it makes sense that if you're being funded on the basis of your case mix, you probably need to know what your cases cost. It would be surprising if when Toyota sells a car for $50,000, they don't know every component of that car and what it costs so that they know that when they're pricing it, they're actually going to make a little bit of money. Traditionally, hospitals had never done that sort of thing. So when the, back in 1993, we had to implement a clinical costing system, which attempts to do exactly that. That is to draw all of the costs for each patient from their episode of care and assign it to every individual patient. And that covers the whole gamut of treatment from the doctors, the nurses, the allied health, to theatre, to prostheses, pathology, radiology, food, linen, heating, lighting, all of those costs are allocated to every single patient because they are the components that make up the price the Commonwealth and the states now pay. You know, when we move to activity-based funding, 
the focus for administrators in particular shifted significantly from inputs to the management of outputs and the need to understand costs became absolutely important. And we'll talk a bit, little bit later around the relationship between costing and quality, but that's sort of a thumbnail sketch of how we got to where we are. You know, fantastic. And thank you, Chris. And that's great experience and I guess background, particularly when it comes to Australia and funding. And Margot, from your perspective, Civica is a market leader globally when it comes to costing. So you, you would see a lot that happens outside of Australia as well. What are the global trends you're seeing in relation to costing? Yeah, great question and really great introduction, Chris. Thank you. You know, that really paints the journey of costings, particularly in the Australian healthcare. And let me just flag here, it was actually pioneered in Australia. The rest of the world actually followed Australia with activity-based funding. We may be a global leader in costings, but the pioneering and the innovative spirit actually started here in Australia to identify it. So that's really important to acknowledge. So yes, with ours, we're hearing from our customers and, and yes, as you say, we're a global market leader in costing solution software. So we're always working with our customers for what they want. And there are four main things that they're telling us. They want a costing solution that is easier and quicker to use. They want to start to use their costing solution, not just to access funding. They want it to use to develop marketing strategies and education campaigns. They want to use that data. For example, a challenge that a lot of hospitals and local health districts are facing is ambulance ramping. Well, if you can use your costings data and allocate where those patients are being pushed from the medical center to your ED, and you've got ambulance ramping, well, then you can actually pinpoint that education campaign for your medical centers to deal with those patients on site rather than pushing them to the hospital. They tell us that they want solutions and systems that are not onerous. They want to be able to make it really flexible for their staff, that their business analysts can come in, sit down and be productive really quickly and up to speed with how to use the solution instead of having months and sometimes years of training before they're actually productive on their costing solution. They're also telling us, and this is some of the exciting work that we've been able to do, is they want their costing solution to actually integrate with other systems. So you can integrate it with patient experience data, with staff experience data, and you know, further down the track, integrating it with complaint management data. Can you imagine if we can actually pinpoint what the cost of a complaint is to our facility? It's pretty remarkable. But most of all, and the fourth thing that our customers are actually asking us for is rapid health economics data to really flip it, that it hasn't been financed against the clinician. It's actually all of us coming together and making clinical decision-making right at the forefront of what we do and putting it patient-centric and patient safety. So that's something that we're working with and our solution actually makes clinical decision-making at the forefront because there are far too many times where clinicians are, oh, finance won't let me do it. And finance is saying, those bloody clinicians are spending too much money. So to actually flip that and have an easy-to-use system is what we're hearing because, I don't know, over 25 years in healthcare, which is a bit scary, it's probably 30 years or more that I've been working in healthcare, whether you're inside or on the dark side like me in sales, there's nobody in this sector that wakes up and wants to be the most expensive 
and cost the most money. We all want the patient to have the best experience. Yeah. And Chris, I'm interested from your perspective too, the point that Margot is raising around patient experience and safety outcomes, how does that all link to costings data? And is it all just about finance and funding anymore? Uh, look, no, it isn't. You know, Margot made this point about this tension between the finance guys and the clinicians. And I mean, that's sort of historically, you know, the whole focus on safety and quality sort of split along the lines that that's been the domain of the clinicians, while administrators and finance managers are focused enormously on reducing costs. Look, the simple fact is that the two aims are not at odds. They're absolutely in sync. It is very clear that good quality care is the cheapest care, you know, and I'll give you some examples of that. We've rapidly come to that view from a huge amount of experience in the data that we get produced on, on the cost of, cost of care. And when you think about what constitutes poor care, they're things like hospital-acquired infections, patient falls, avoidable readmissions, delays in services being provided to patients while they're in hospital, sitting there and nothing's happening, patients being stranded. All of these things add to patient dissatisfaction. They add to the patient's length of stay in a hospital. And length of stay is the single biggest driver of cost of any patient episode. And we need to remember that hospitals are dangerous places. You don't want anybody in a hospital longer than they need to be. So we find that when we focus on safety and quality, what we're doing is bringing the right services to the right patient at the right time, and it's actually the cheapest form of care that there is. I describe it, and there are variations of this, that the value proposition in health today is that good quality and safe care achieves what I would call a triple bottom line patient satisfaction, patients are happier when everything goes smoothly, they don't have to wait, they're not delayed, there's no redos, they come out better than when they went in, hopefully. So patient satisfaction, high quality and safe care, and less cost, everybody's happy. So the costing systems that we have in place are demonstrating this value. They're demonstrating that good quality care leads to reduced length of stay, leads to reduced cost, and while we have to invest in safety and quality, there's no question about that. Ultimately, when safety and quality systems are in place, we have less expensive care. Yeah, and everyone wins. And thinking into the future then, or like thinking about now, like Margot in particular, what insights are you seeing relative to patient experience and costing data? Is artificial intelligence making a difference? Gosh, it certainly is. It's actually speeding things up. So just on a recent pilot that we did with an NHS trust, they took 100, over 127,000 patient encounters and were actually able to put them through Costmaster or a solution and it came out with 2,875, somewhere around there. I can give you the data if anybody wants it reference, but uh, insights within a matter of hours. Now, the team at the NHS actually said, that would have taken 13 years of analyst time <laughs> to identify that amount of packets of data mm. and to identify where we can actually find the insights. Is AI making a difference? Absolutely. Is the development in mapping and correlating data from your costings across to your patient experience and potentially 
triangulating the data with your staff experience and complaint management, you can actually start to see what those interactions are either costing our hospital and we can actually give them a tangible dollar value, you know, which again leads back to what our customers are asking is they want to know how they can get better every single day. We've all got lots of data sitting in our systems and you can imagine a hospital with several patient encounters and how that's sitting. But AI is definitely making a difference. And we're not stopping at that. We've worked at that for two years. One of the good things about being such a large global company is there's five and a half thousand other employees that are a lot smarter than me that are working on the future every single day. So there's a lot more to come which we can only do when we work with our customers and what they're currently facing. So yes, absolutely. When we can put a tangible dollar value, a cost on the patient experience, that makes a difference. You would say that it's objective AI, not a subjective one, because we're not at the moment, we're not programming in any assumptions. Therefore, what that means is we don't end up with selection bias. So we are just putting it across the whole model of all the data and then it will actually pull out quickly and rapidly what we want to actually take a deeper look into. So one of the things at the moment is people are concerned with AI regarding selection bias or confirmation bias. With Costmaster Aurum, as it is at the moment, it is applied to the whole model of data. It's working double time, so a bit like a duck, you know, lovely and graceful on the top and then the little feet going underneath. <laughs> Nice one. Nice one. Good analogy. I'm going to throw to Chris in a second because we're going to make this a bite-sized session for lunchtime and appreciate everyone that's attended live. Would love to be able to get any questions or perspectives from those that are attending. So before I go to the next question for Chris, which will be the last one to round us out, if you do have any questions or comments to make uh, those that are attending and listening in, feel free to write those in the chat or the Q&A section there. But Chris, I'll just throw to you then lastly, and it's a big question. Where do you see the future of costing for Australian healthcare? That is a good question, and I've thought about this a fair amount. Look, I've been working with costing, as I said, for nearly 30 years. And what I see consistently is that it is a resource that is dramatically underutilised by senior executives, by funders, for a whole lot of reasons. When you think that it is the single richest repository of information in a hospital, which draws together everything that's been done to a patient from every system in the hospital and then puts a cost on it, so it draws from the general ledger, from the theatre system, the prosthetic system, the nursing system, the allied health system, the theatre. It is a wonder that it isn't more well utilised. I think the people running costing systems need to get out of the office a lot more. They need to go and talk to clinicians. They need to involve clinicians much more in the building of their costing models because, let's face it, a lot of costs that make their way to patients are allocated. They're not always direct, and that can be a criticism that's towards costing. It's an art, not a science, and the general ledger is God, and we're not measured that way by our health departments. They fund us differently to, you know, or they measure our success or otherwise, not necessarily on the basis of patient cost versus revenue, but overall cost versus revenue. So there are lots of things going on that advances in costing systems are going to help. As Margot was saying, systems are getting much more sophisticated and simpler and faster. You don't these days necessarily need a cost accountant to put things together. We're building models of cost allocation based on specifications. We're producing more costing 
runs in a year. That's another criticism that's been made that costing is outdated mm. by the time we come to use it. So those things are going to be helpful. I think where else we need to go is that we need to get better and more targeted reports out of this massive database of information. We need to make them much more bespoke to the needs of individual clinicians so that they're looking at reports about their patients that they've recently seen and it's giving them data that is useful to them in the treatment of their patients and as costing is so intrinsically linked to funding, the costing systems need to be mindful and reflective of changes to Commonwealth funding. So things like, you know, the Commonwealth is moving into the area of trying to promote uh, change in practice through funding changes. Classic example is that there are now funding penalties in place for a whole range of hospital acquired complications. So if the patient episode comes up on the system with an infection or a fall and meets the definitions of hospital-acquired complications, then the payment is reduced. The costing system needs to be mindful of that. It needs to be able to produce very good reports that say, what are the costs of all of our patients who have hospital-acquired complications and what's the expected revenue? What's the gap? Uh, where are the costs? How can we reduce them? Uh, the Commonwealth is moving much more into funding bundles of care. So things like renal dialysis are not these days funded on an episode basis. They fund the whole, an annual year's worth of dialysis because patients come three times a week for dialysis uh, and it's predictable. The Commonwealth is moving towards funding or pricing for teaching and research. You know, we need to get our costing system to reflect that. So we need to keep up with where the funding is going and have the costing system reflect those changes. And lastly, a couple of other final things. Having something like a state or national patient identifier, I don't want to move into the big brother realm, but you know, in my state in Victoria, if a patient gets treated in the hospital that I worked in, like the Austin, went home, had a relapse and presented at another hospital, I'm never going to know about that. So you know, my patient readmissions are only ones who have been treated here and come back here. I can't see that this patient's been readmitted anywhere else. Tasmania can do it. New Zealand can do it. But most other states and territories can't even do it within their own states, much less across the country. So patient identifier for the purposes of tracking care would be very useful. And more transparency with cost data. I mean, the Commonwealth is going to move towards publishing cost data, cost of procedures, cost of hip replacements, knee replacements, and you'll probably be able to see it comparatively between hospitals and across states and the like. That is the future. Patients want to be able to see what they're going to get if they go to hospital X or hospital Y. Uh, so again, we need to be very confident in the costing systems that we have in place. And we need to be very mindful that you know, we need to strive more and more to make them as accurate mm. as possible. They're probably some of the things that I think are going to evolve yeah, it's a very real glimpse into what the future will likely be. And it's important to get those foundations right in preparation for that. And obviously a few challenges to overcome along the way. I'm going to throw to any of the attendees if there are any questions. I know we are coming up close to time to wrapping up today. We had half an hour put aside. If there are any questions that attendees did want to ask to Margot or to Chris, uh, now is your chance. 
whilst you're doing that as well, I'm just going to launch like a closing poll just to make sure that everyone's still living on that end. So the poll has come out and there's just two questions for you to answer there. If you get a second, how you found the session and also if you got anything out of it, it's helpful for us. And it's also good to know where to focus on for next time. Chris and Margot, I see there that there's a few kind of thanks for from people coming through, but nothing particular. Just Margot closing out, then if people are wanting to get more information in relation to costing or, or the use of AI and costing in healthcare in Australia or any other information that we talked about today, where, where should people be going? Oh gosh, just connect with me on LinkedIn. I can talk for hours about experience and costing. <laughs> you know, it's so, I'm so passionate about actually helping people use data to make a difference. Margot Morton, LinkedIn, Civica, Asia Pacific, any of those areas, drop us a line. As I said, there is people much, much smarter than me at Civica that can help you with all the things that you need. So that's fine. See, people didn't know we actually scheduled for half an hour, assuming that Margot and Chris were going to talk for double the amount of time. But no, I'm only joking. So, <laughs> no, but we, we managed to stick That's on time. <laughs> so thank you everyone for attending live. And uh, you'll hear this episode as an episode of the podcast later on. I can see lots of people saying thank you for the session. There's been some good feedback. Most happy with the session that we covered. So Chris and Margot, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Lovely. Thanks, Peter. And thank you, Chris. Thanks for listening to Talking Health Tech. My name is Peter Birch. Make sure you go check out our website for all our resources, including this podcast and the largest directory of technology solutions available to Australian healthcare practitioners today. Until next time, I'm out of here.